Lord fed doesn't make the sun's tired because we're doing oh, it all. We're doing it all. Oh, I am so excited. Guys, I'm you, so excited you're not going to hear as much from me this time. You Ooh. guys you guys are getting three different weeks on the Paris Commune, and then we'll be moving on to Chapter 4 and whatnot. If you were me and Nathan the- are getting Marathon Paris Commune night, <laughs> and uh, he... He is starting to get to that part where he's going, God damn, thank God I had the pretzels. Otherwise, this water would actually kill me with oh. dehydration. Is <laughs> all of his lactic these acid pretzels is coming are in. making me thirsty. <laughs> Woo! Woo! So, chapter three The Experience of the Paris Commune of 1871. Marx's analysis. David, what what's the Paris Commune all about? I'm I'm curious. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I hope I hope you understand by now. <laughs> uh, we're not gonna get back into that. We we're not. Have, There's gonna be details. There is some we, hope that this episode may be more concise as a result of the last two yes, hours. Yes. God damn it, it probably. So no, no. It will never be. Uh, so we're gonna start with number point number one is our section number one. Whatever it is number one. Uh, what made the communards attempt heroic? My life mission is to change that. We gotta change that word, it's guys. It's not it's, so it's, bad. it's very bad. It's not bad. Nothing with the word nards in it is ever good. <laughs> ever. All right. So anyway, I'm not gonna do a like suck my nards joke. So exactly because it's bad. <laughs> As all references to the word nards is. So we're gonna start. It is well known that in the autumn of 1870, a few months before the commune, Marx warned the Paris workers that any attempt to overthrow the government would be the folly of despair. But when in March 1871, a decisive battle was forced upon the workers and they accepted it, when the uprising had become a fact, Marx greeted the proletarian revolution with the greatest enthusiasm in spite of unfavorable auguries. I don't know how to say that word. Auguries? Auguries. Auguries. Predictions, like yeah. fortune tellings. Yeah, yeah. Like unfavorable, like things didn't look good. The tea leaves did not bode well. Right, right. Uh, Marx did not persist in the pedantic attitude of condemning an untimely movement, as did the ill-famed Russian renegade from Marxism, Plakhanov, who in November 1905 wrote encouragingly about the workers' and peasants' struggle, but after December 1905 cried in liberal fashion they should not have taken up arms. So for the reference, for the record, yeah, renegades, Plakhanov, Kowski. <laughs> you don't want to be a renegade. Don't get on renegades. Yeah. Good Renegades? That one Rage Against the Machine song. Yes. That's got a lot of good references to Renegades in it. (laughs) Marx, however, was not only enthusiastic about the heroism of the communards, who, as he expressed it, shut up, stormed heaven. Although the mass uh, revolutionary movement did not achieve its aim, he regarded it as a his- heroic experience, an enormous important or historic experience of enormous importance. A certain advance of the world proletarian revolution, a practical step that was more important than hundreds of programs and arguments. All of your debates don't mean shit. Yep. The commune did it. Okay, you know, theory and praxis. Theory comes from praxis. This was this was revolution. It was the ultimate culmination of that. So this is this is the definition of shut up, you nerds. He played the game. That's... You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. You can't. Talk you to weren't John. there. You can't talk to John Smoltz. He was there. <laughs> Marx endeavored to analyze his experiment, to draw tactical lessons from it, and re-examine his theory in the light of it. The only correction Marx thought necessary to make to the Communist Manifesto he made on the basis of the revolutionary experience of the Paris Communards. The last preface to the new German edition of the Communist Manifesto, signed by both its authors, is dated June 24, 1872. In this preface, the authors Karl Marx and Frederick Engels say that the program of the Communist Manifesto has in some details become out of date. And they go on to say, one thing especially was proven by the communes. By the commune. 
that the working class cannot simply lay hold of the ready-made state machinery and wield it for its own purposes. The authors took the words that are in quotation marks in this page from Marx's book, The Civil War in France. Thus, Marx and Engels regarded one principle and fundamental lesson of the Paris Commune as being of such enormous importance that they introduced it as an important correction into the Communist Manifesto. Most characteristically, it is an important correction that has been distorted by the opportunists, and its meaning probably is not known to nine-tenths, if not ninety-nine in a hundred, of the readers of the Communist Manifesto. Since you listened to the last two episodes, you're that one. Welcome, guys. Yes. We made you that one. You're welcome. <laughs> we spent two hours doing it. We spent it, two David. hours. You're welcome. <laughs> we shall deal with this distortion more fully further on in a chapter devoted specifically to distortions. <laughs> You're excited for that one, guys. Oh, <laughs> wow. It's going to be fun. Here it is. Here it will be sufficient to note that the current vulgar interpretation of Marx's famous statement was just quoted is that Marx here allegedly emphasizes the idea of slow development in contradiction to the seizure of power and so on. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite is the case. Marx's idea is that the working class must break up, smash the ready-made state machinery, and not confine itself merely to laying hold of it. Now, uh, we already did the uh, Kugelman Oh, we did. Last episode. Yes, yes, we did. All right. So uh, I had that highlighted. We're going to skip right past that. Uh, no, that actually, that part we did not read in the last Oh, okay, part. we'll read it. So okay. go ahead. So, yeah, go ahead and sign uh, it. If you look up the last chapter of my 18th Brumaire, this is Mark's talking, by the way. It's not my is, 18th Brumaire. This is the modern equivalent of, if you refer to my last email, you <laughs> that, idiot. That's right. <laughs> sir, sir, refer to my last email. <laughs> You will find that I declare that the next attempt of the French Revolution will no longer as before or no longer be as before to transfer the bureaucratic military machine from one hand to another, but to smash it. Marx's italics, the original is Zerbrecken. So Marx actually emphasized smash. And this is the precondition for every real people's revolution on the continent. And what is our heroic party comrades in Paris are attempting? So Mark was like, look here, if you'll check this out, I said this is the first people's revolution. And because of that, we're done with this shit. We're coming at it with a hammer. I do also love that. I declare that the next attempt of the French Revolution, like at this point, it had just gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, they're going to do it again. We know it's the French. They're going to revolt. They do. It's, That's it's, right. What year is it? They're revolting. Yeah, and we, were, now. we talked in the last episode about how in 1908, Lenin was like, yeah, so we had our 1905, our 1917's coming, yeah. right? I mean, he called the shot. Marx had done the same thing with France. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he didn't even have France as the example. He just saw it and was like, yeah, no, it's going to happen. Yeah, of course it is. So he said, the words to sm- or Lenin says, the words to smash the bureaucratic military machine briefly express the principal lesson of Marxism regarding the tasks of the proletariat during a revolution to the state. So Marx does not want you just to elect people like Ocasio-Cortez. Yep. He wants you to smash that shit. Smash it. We're you use that- the Ocasio- And again, we talked about this last time. You use them when it's not revolution time. Because yes. you need to start, mate. You have to use you what need you've to, got. You need to survive. You need to kind of see what 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 works. Push as far you know, forward yeah. as you can. Get, get educating. Make the conditions proper for being able to educate. But don't think that's your end game. No, no, and don't don't think that's even good strategy in the meantime because yeah. she she's backtracking a lot. Well, oh yeah, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> Uh, we're going to go down a couple paragraphs say, It is interesting to note, in particular, two points of the above-quoted argument of Marx. First, he restricts his conclusion to the continent. 
This was understandable in 1871 when Britain was still the model of a purely capitalist country, but without a militarist clique and to a considerable degree without a bureaucracy. Marx therefore included Britain where a revolution, even a people's revolution, then seemed possible and indeed was possible without the precondition of destroying the ready state machinery. And the, the sorry, just because I heard it, uh, Marx therefore excluded. Britain, oh, excluded. I'm sorry. Not yeah. included. So he didn't think it was possible in Britain because he didn't think there was this form of bureaucracy, the, the, the Napoleonic kind of state military industrial complex. He didn't think it existed in Britain. At the time. Yeah. And Lenin says, today in 1917, because that's when he wrote it, at the time of the first great imperialist war, uh, remember the Great War or what we know mm. today is World War One was happening. It was a big deal in the Russian Revolution. War tends, war tends to, to tickle revolution. Bit of a, a thing. Bit. We're not going to yeah. do a whole series on that because if you don't know about World War One, I, I can't help you. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not my job. This restriction made by Marx is no longer valid. Both Britain and America, the biggest and the last representatives in the whole world of Anglo-Saxon, quote-unquote, liberty, in the sense that they had no military cliques and bureaucracy, other than, of course, <laughs> yeah. have completely sunk the all-European no, no, trophy no, blood no, 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 There has to be a pause there. There has to be. Oh, my God. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine a world? Yeah. There's no militaristic clique or bureaucracy in America. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, oh, I, I, so I do got to say, even Lennox and Marx, so I don't sad. think they quite, like, really just focused on the whole settler colony no, thing. Well no, no. But they were right as far as within the the, 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 the white community. They, just, they, they weren't the same kind of cops. Nope. They nope, weren't. Not yet. Yep. Have completely sunk to the all-European filthy, bloody morass of bureaucratic military institutions that subordinate everything to themselves and suppress everything. Today in Britain and America, too, the precondition for every real people's revolution is the smashing, the destruction of the ready-made state machinery. Now, I will also like to highlight, noticing that Britain and America are, are late there, if people are ever wondering why the U.S. and Britain are like the biggest imperial powers now, it's because they were just kind of late in the game. They're later in that same cycle. But remember, and we will emphasize this again, the end of that cycle is not socialism magically happening. That's a big part of this book. It's a big part of when you see history. The end of that cycle everywhere was fascism. Okay. In so, some form or another. Yes. And so America and Britain are kind of swinging down to the rest of Europe in World War II. Uh, so you can sit there with your thumb up your ass and celebrate the rotting away capitalism if you want, like Nazi Germany or fascist Italy or Vichy France. But um, fuck no, I, I want to do the People's Revolution. Yeah, Thank you. No, yeah. All right, so we're going to skip down. A second in particular attention should be paid to Marx's extremely profound remark that the destruction of the bureaucratic military state machine is the precondition for every real people's revolution. This idea of a people's revolution seems strange coming from Marx so that the Russian Plekhanovites and Menshevites, those followers of Struve, who wish to be regarded as Marxist, might possibly declare such an expression to be a slip of the pen on Marx's part. I, that's, and it needs to be accepted. You can pass that. It's so good when you dig into that, just how ludicrous. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Like, it's whoop. such, Lenin, God, you're, you're, yeah, I like you, Lenin. <laughs> I like what you're, I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> they have reduced Marxism to such a state of wretchedly liberal distortion that nothing exists for them beyond the antithesis between the bourgeoisie revolution and the proletariat revolution. And even this antithesis, they interpret within an utterly lifeless way. <laughs> 
Oh, God. Can you imagine buying into dialectics and then not using it for the actual revolution? Yeah, right? oh, yeah. How boring a life would you... Like, fuck, dialectics sucks yeah. unless you're using it for the revolution. Well, I've read Hegel. Well, it points... And the second part of that sentence is a big deal. You know, I mean, they do say, well, no, Marx recognized the people's revolution versus a, or bourgeoisie versus a proletariat. Okay, great. Even your interpretation of that makes the difference not really matter. Yeah. Why, why did you care that Marx interpreted that differently? You have to know why Marx really did interpret that differently, and it's not going to be in your interest when you do. No. You know, I mean, this is this is the giant book about how the lie liars are liars who lie, and they're lying. It isn't even that giant, but we did the giant book. No, this yeah, is this, is, this, is this is just a whole lot of, this look at these liars chain. lying. But yeah. every every little nook and cranny of this is is vital, so we, we just keep reading it. Which is it. why we've been reading it not, uh, uninterrupted. <laughs> yes. Uh, so then we, he says, if we take the revolutions of the 20th century as an example, we shall, of course, have to admit that the Portuguese and the Turkish revolutions are both bourgeoisie revolutions. We're not going into those. No. Neither of them, however, is a people's revolution, since it neither does the mass uh, neither does the mass of the people their vast majority come out actively independently with their own economic and political demands to any noticeable degree and again we talked about you know 1848 uh they didn't win that was a bourgeoisie revolution but it was a people's revolution because people came out with their own demands yep. you know they didn't do that in other revolutions they just went oh the bourgeoisie wants this we're fighting for them because bad leader bad yep. you know trump trump bad so we'll do whatever hillary says it's yeah. you know I mean, <laughs> except with guns Defend chelsea clinton with your life Oh, I'm in front fuck. of the bullet. Oh, yeah, we had to date it. We had to date it a little oh. bit. We had to. Yeah, oh. that's happening right now, guys. Oh. That's happening right now. That's oh. your context. Woo. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Okay, so when... Why was she there? I, Why did she think she needed to be because there? Because she is the founder the of all multi-faith Why? initiatives. Who the NYU? hell do you think you are, lady? She invented tolerance oh. in New York. I like the comment. If people... If, if Chelsea... If Chelsea didn't want to be yelled at when she was pregnant, then why did she open her fucking goddamn mouth when uh, she was pregnant? I, why did she show up there pregnant? I, I, Wait, just, just, just. I mean, that's just supposed to be the cudgel. Like, never mind this woman of color who's actually like affected by the situation. Has a by reason to be in- yeah, is is a Muslim. It's like mourning this. Chelsea's just gonna drop by like she fucking owns the place and just ah. But she was invited. Well, then they were wrong to invite her. Let's interrogate this a little bit harder. Yeah, I mean, let's remember this is this is to just in, the lady just incited a mob. On the charges of anti-Semitism, which a big part of Islamophobia is this idea that anti-Semitism is is particularly prevalent in in uh, Muslim communities and particularly are acu- are um, um, it's a it's a Muslim problem and not a problem of other places, right? Yeah. But on top of that, you know, this was an explicit white supremacist that did the church uh, church um, Christ, Christ church? church Christ church shootings. Uh, Chelsea was just openly praising Nazis. Nazis that her mother had put into power as Secretary of State in Ukraine, tearing down Lenin statues. She was all over Twitter. Yes, they've taken down these terrible Lenin statues, and they're replacing them with Waffen-SS memorials. And it's like, hey, lady, you're out there screaming happy about Nazis replacing uh, the you know, the statues of the country that saved them from Nazis and replacing it with Waffen SS memorials, and then you're sicking the dogs on this Muslim woman, and you're like, oh, by the way, I need to go to this Muslim uh, mourning for the Muslims killed by a white supremacist. I should totally be here. I belong here. It, like, fuck you, lady. It's, it's so bad. Fuck you. It's so bad. 
Okay, so anyway, where were we at in the book? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So by contrast, although the Russian bourgeoisie revolution of 1905 to 07 displayed no such brilliant successes as the time fell fell to the Turkish and bourgeoisie revolutions, it was undoubtedly a real people's revolution since the mass of people, their majority, the very lowest social groups crushed by oppression and exploitation rose independently and stamped on the entire course of the revolution the imprint of their own demands, their attempt to build their own way in a new society in the place of an old society that was being destroyed. Again, you see these people's revolution and the corollary to 1848 is 1905. The bourgeoisie wins out. No power was transferred. They're not a proletarian revolution because the proletariat didn't seize power until another revolution later. Uh, but they are a people's revolution because the people are rising up and they're not just demanding what the bourgeoisie told them to demand. They're demanding their own shit. And sometimes you're going to need a uh, it, 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 there's kind of a trend we're noticing. And this may I mean, you, you need to you need to brace yourself and embrace this. Sometimes there's going to be a lot of times there will be a failed revolution before there's a successful revolution. You yep. sometimes the failed revolution is what is needed to galvanize everybody else to show to kind of wake everything else up. There is a chance that your revolution will not succeed. There's a chance a revolution will happen around you yep. and it will get quashed. That yep. does not do not let that demoralize you. Let that yeah, like if what's happening now in Haiti uh, winds up not, you know, coming to any profound conclusion, it's still a people's revolution happening now, yes. and it is going to have extreme effects down the road. If this yellow uh, jackets thing going on, yes. yellow vests yeah. thing going on in France, um, it, again, you know, I mean, it's co-opted by fascists at the same time, because of course it is. It, of course it is. Yeah, uh, and it may not come to any power, you know. I mean, Macron might, might double in and, and become plenty strong or they might send in another bourgeoisie French leader but you know what it is absolutely a people's revolution and just like in 1848 you know France will have at least another you know probably commune type situation uh, hopefully something more lasting and deeper uh, a la Russian revolution um, and again you know Haiti hopefully they get something more like Cuba or Venezuela where they can they can stand through it um, but regardless, but, it's Haiti, so you will never know one way or another because you will not just, you just no one will ever tell you. Yeah. No one will tell you. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But country might not exist as far as you know in America. Right. Uh, but that said, you know, these are very much people's revolutions. And people's revolutions set the table for proletarian revolutions. If they're not a proletarian revolution that maybe sometimes happens faster than you think, again, a la, you know, Cuba or yep. Um, some other countries like that. So um, we're going to go back. In, in Europe in 1871, the proletariat did not constitute the majority of the people in the country on, on the continent. A people's revolution, when actually sweeping the majority into its stream, could only be such if it embraced both the proletariat and the peasants. Super important. Hammer and sickle. Super uh, I important. also was talking about how, and, and I wanted to point that out because you'll see these themes, how important the turn of the peasants was to the Russian Revolution and the Bolsheviks. And this was kind of in the time where Lenin was starting to recruit them. Like he was, he's been screaming the whole time, all power to the Soviets, all power to the Soviets. Seize, and, and I think by the time he's writing this chapter, because I think we got a date in one of them in like July or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, chapter two. Um, I think by the time he's writing this chapter is probably at the point where the SRs are pretty openly saying like, oh, you're not doing this the right way. And Lenin's going, no, seize that fucking land, go do it. <laughs> so, you know, it's very important that those words are in there. I says, these two classes then constituted the people. These two classes are united by the fact that the bureaucratic military state machine oppresses, crushes, exploits them. To smash this machine, to break it up, is truly the interest of the people, of their majority, of the workers and 
and most of its peasants. It is the precondition for free alliance of the poor and peasants and the proletarians, whereas without such an alliance, democracy is unstable and socialist transformation is impossible. There is a one... There's something interesting in there, and I just... I don't... You, you don't have to know the answer to this, but it's just curious to me. The... To smash the machine, to break it up, is truly in the interest of the people, of the majority of the workers, and most of the peasants. Who? What? Huh? What? Pe- oh, what? Huh? What peasants are not benefiting when we when we overthrow the bourgeoisie here? I. I'm very confused by that sentence. It's very confusing. I don't know. I don't know. know is, there, is there like a peasant that's really well off under the system? Like that? that they would something? be a peasant. I mean, I'm maybe conf- they could be a kulak. You well, don't know. There, but they're not peasant. I don't know. Maybe that's who's. Maybe that's who he's referring to. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I don't, don't know. know. It's just weird. It is a little weird. weird. Okay. That's, it's all, right. all right. So we're gonna go down to point two. It says, "What is to replace the smash?" <laughs> we've state officially machine? skipped a sentence, guys. We've skipped at least one now. Oh, we've, we skipped a couple paragraphs. We've skipped. Well, yeah. we, we are no longer in breach of some weird copyright law. I promise. <laughs> what is to replace the sta- smash state machine? In 1847, in the Communist Manifesto, Marx's answer to this question was as yet a purely abstract one. And to be exact, it was an answer that indicated the tasks, but not the ways of accomplishing them. The answer was given in the Communist Manifesto was that this machine was to be replaced by the proletariat organized as the ruling class and by winning the battle of democracy. Man, those sounds like fake platitudes. Yes. <laughs> Those are some some Beto-level platitudes right there, Marx. (laughs) Robert. His name is Robert. (laughs) He's not Latinx. His name is Robert. Robert Francis. We've established. Yes. I don't even care about the Francis. I It is pretty damn white, so that is a good thing. Robert Francis O'War. He goes from being a slight... He goes from being Latin to being, like, the head of the cop union or something. It's confusing. Marx did not indulge in utopias. He expected the experience of the mass movement to provide the reply to the question as the specific forms this organization of the proletariat as the ruling class would assume, and as the exact manner in which this organization would be combined with the most complete, most consistent, winning the battle of democracy. We're going to jump down to a Marx quote from the Civil War in France. As a state power assumed more and more the character of a public force organized for the suppression of the working class, of a machine class of class rule. For every re- after, after every revolution, which marks an advance in the class struggle, the purely coercive character of the state power stands out in a bolder and bolder relief. <laughs> yes. And so Lenin's going to reply to that and say, After the revolution of 1848-49, the state power became the national war instrument of the capital against labor. The second empire consolidated this. This is back, we talked about this before. This mm-hmm. again, we went to the 1848, 48 and 49, slightly boo. So again, not even a socialist revolution. It was just a little bit bougie. Yeah. And they came down hard on that one. Yeah, I mean, they, they we talked about they completely reworked Paris. You they know, came and, down hard on that one. So yeah. the Second Empire, again, got real, real good at their, uh, ooh, no, we can use this whole state thing to really mess with people. Mm-hmm. And so he says, the direct antithesis to the empire was the commune. It was the specific form of a republic that was not only to remove the mon- uh, monarch- monarchy, mon- monarchy thing. Uh, <laughs> form of a class rule, but class rule itself. So this was important. It was, it, this is the deviation. You went from, we, we, we went from feudalism to capitalism. And instead of going to this other ism or something like, hey, fuck that. Let's, let's not do that. We don't need yeah, that. We're done with that. Yeah. 
Uh, it says, what was the specific form of the proletarian socialist republic? Uh, what was the state? What, what was the state it began to create? I'm the one that's supposed to be burned out. What are you? you I, snap uh, it together. I'm no. tongue twisting. <laughs> the first decree of the commune, therefore, was the suppression of the standing army and the substitution for it of the armed people. Yeah. This demand now figures in the program of every party calling itself socialist. Remember the Red Army. Yep. All right, we're going to go back to a quote again. Uh, it says, The commune was formed of the municipal councillors chosen by universal suffrage in the various wards of the town, responsible and revocable at any time. Mm. We talked about way back in Capital how that's pretty common in socialist, you know, yes. run Cuba. Sure it wasn't be. the Soviet Union. It's, it, I mean, the revocable in time is a big deal. Important distinction, and it's not a critique on Lenin, but important distinction, universal suffrage still absolutely 1,000% means universal male suffrage in the commune. <laughs> it's not, they yeah. were good, they weren't quite that good. So yeah. just to differentiate, because that word has different meaning. Yeah. Uh, the majority of its members, we're, we're continuing the quote now, the majority of the members were naturally working men or acknowledged representatives of the working class. The police, which until then had been an instrument of the government, was at once stripped of its political attributes and turned into the responsible and at all times revocable. Again, you could vote to take a cop from being a cop. If he shoots some guy, he doesn't get like a paid vacation and then a new job somewhere else. He gets pulled from being a fucking cop and yeah. Really important. So and I'm sorry that th this is from the, I, I will find his name at some point and, and hard edit it into this at this point. Uh, pause for that hard edit. Raul Rigo. So now you know that guy's name and we're going to totally be referencing it the rest of the time, that guy. Um, <laughs> one of the, when you talk about the, the police being stripped and then turned into the responsible agents of the commune, um, one of the, the head of the commune's police force was a radical uh, uh, one of one of the internationals, one of the socialists, um, and had been for a long time. He was like Marx and Engels and, and Lenin in that he'd been forced underground. He'd been he'd been tracked by the police. He had been the equivalent of being marked by the CIA or the FBI at all times. He'd been followed. He had he had the Wi-Fi van outside his house. Like he got <laughs> tagged. He was he he was completely tracked by the state at all times. As soon as the commune took over, he basically just showed up at the police station and went, "Hey." Um, I know how these guys work better than anybody. We're going to flip exactly what they do against them. And we're going to use that to root out the counter revolutionaries. I'm your guy. I'm your police chief now. And just like unilaterally de like declared himself head of it and then ran all of their own ops against counter revolutionaries. It was a super cool, like one off deviation story in the commune. And it's in Duncan's uh, revolution podcast. Whoa, and I will awesome. get his name to insert it here. If you just want to look up the guy, but it was, he was a very interesting character of the commune. And again, it just shows you're gonna use their own institutions against them. You're not gonna completely disable them. No. You're not gonna eliminate the concept of the word police. Yeah. But it's going to be used for an entirely different. Yeah, but purpose. you're gonna smash it. Yeah. You're gonna smash the the state, the relations. It you're is. You're gonna slash its political nature. You're gonna smash. And all you're gonna of that turn stuff. it on its head and make it yours. Yep. Yes. Um. So revocable agent of the commune. So were the officials of all other branches of the administration, from the members of the commune downwards, the public service had to be done at workmen's wages. The privileges and representation allowances of high dignitaries of state disappeared along with the high dignitaries themselves. Having once got rid of the standing army and the police, the instruments of physical force of the old government, the commune proceeded at once to break the instrument of spiritual suppression, the power of the priests. The judicial functionaries lost to that sham independence. They were thenceforth to be elective, responsible, and revocable. 
Yeah, I love that line. I think it gets thrown away in there. The judicial functionaries lost that sham independence. Even in 18, yes. 1917, he, Lenin's calling out this, this bullshit of, oh, well, they're a point there. They're above it all. They're above politics. They're not... They're not so, Fuck you. No, they're yeah. just like everybody. They are they're in a, they're to politicize roles. Everyone else, they should be revoked. The concept that the fucking Supreme Court is elected and is appointed until death is the most asinine, undemocratic, well, on, on It's anything. completely absurd because whoever sets them up there is going to be biased. I mean, they're it was a big deal that people, you know, elected Trump and he was picking Supreme Court yes. justices for, for God's sake. But those people he picks, no, they are above the fray. Right. But I mean, it's, it's a dumb thing is like, if they are above the fray, if they're apolitical and that's an advantage, then why are we doing democracy at all? Because wouldn't that, by definition, a monarch be above the fray and unbiased? I mean, what the fuck? It's so, it's so ludicrous. And again, it's, it's and absurd. Saw it right there. Yeah, and, saw it right yeah. There. so that that is a good, you know, the judicial. Uh, and the commune did it. The commune made judges yeah, they saw elected. It. And then they could be revoked at any moment. Yeah, I mean, you bad judge. We're gonna go. And we have that. You have that in certain instances that where you know we go in in Missouri. At least I can say in our ballot is should Judge X Y Z be retained? Yeah. But that's on a very low level, and that's only certain states. And, and most you know, people have no idea what those judges actually do or what their political views are yeah. or anything like that. So it's a complete nonsense joke. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, well, and the biggest thing is people are discouraged in voting and finding out about those things because oh, yeah. you're you're told away where you don't have time to get involved in politics. I mean, we went all over over all this. And capital whites and Bourgeoisie and Mon- yeah, Democracy. But you know, you, you, I mean, who do you think is going to replace them? Why do you think it's someone other than just another ruling class sham bastard, you know? Um, so now Lenin's going to continue. says, The com- commune, therefore, appears to have re- replaced the smashed state machine only by fuller democracy. So it smashed the state by making it everything the state pretended to, to be. be. Uh, abolition of the standing army with all the officials to be elected and subject to recall. But as a matter of fact, this only signifies a gigantic replacement of certain institutions by other institutions of a fundamentally different type. Fundamentally different is key. This is exactly a case of quantity being transformed into quality. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Democracy, introduced as fully and consistently as is at all conceivable, is transformed from bourgeoisie into proletarian democracy. From the state, which is a special force of a of suppression of a particular class into something which is no longer the state proper. It is still necessary to suppress the bourgeoisie and crush the resistance. Uh, This was particularly necessary for the commune. One of the reasons of its defeat was that it did not do this with sufficient determination. The organ of suppression, however, is here the majority of the population, not as a minority, as was always the case under slavery, serfdom, or wage slavery. And since the majority of people itself uh, Suppresses its oppressors, a special force. I'm taking for your fidget spinner away. <laughs> it's no, I, I, I have trouble clicking these with my hands. I and since the majority of people itself suppresses its oppressors, a special force for suppression is no longer necessary. You know, again, we talk about Cuba has, what, 75% of the population is armed. So the U.S., we have more weapons than anyone, but like 70% of people have them. You definitely know who's in the army, who's in the police. Cuba doesn't have nearly the weapons we do, like, total on a per capita because it's not concentrated in a small percentage of people. But they have 75% are armed. If the Cuban government was unjust, they'd get over-fucking-thrown by their own people. Yep. 
Uh, and since a majority of people itself suppress the oppressors, a special... Oh, I just said that. Yeah. In this sense, the state begins to wither away. Instead of special institutions of a privileged minority, privileged officialdom, the chiefs of the standing army, etc., the majority itself can directly fulfill all these functions. And the more the functions of state power are performed by the people as a whole, the less need there is for the existence of this power. Now you understand what withering away of the state really means. Yes. Using the Paris Commune. It's, and it's, and it's going to be, again, the work... You're gonna get, you're gonna need less people to do it. It's gonna get done more effectively. All this bullshit that the fucking liber- that the people who are talking about, oh, we don't need big government. You don't want, oh, you, oh, you socialists, all you want is a giant government. No, we want no. the state to wither away. We want, we want, we want as little a government as is physically possible to keep the freaking revolution mm-hmm. going and to keep the 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 bourgeoisie from taking it all back. And then we want that to slowly die over time as it's unnecessary. Yeah. But they don't care what we actually think. No, no, it's way easier. It's way easier (laughs) to do it the other way. In this connection, following the measures of the commune, Marx emphasized are particularly noteworthy. The abolition of all representation allowances and of all monetary privileges to officials, and the reduction of the remuneration of all servants of the state to the level of workmen's wages. This shows more clearly than anything else the turn from being bourgeoisie to proletarian democracy, from the democracy of its oppressors to uh, to that of oppressed classes, from the state as a special force for the suppression of a particular class to the suppression of the oppressors by the general force of the majority of people. So again, you're going, people are going, well, you're saying you're flipping the state, but you're still saying it's not a special force. Well, no, because it's a general force. That's an important word there. That's the first time I think he says that. It is. Uh, The workers and the peasants, of course, are the general force. And it is the particularly striking point, perhaps the most important as far as the problem of the state is concerned, that the ideas of Marx have been most completely ignored. In (laughs) In popular commentaries, the number of which is legion, this is not mentioned. This is kept silent as if it were a piece of old-fashioned naivete, just as Christians, after their religion had been given the status of state religion, forgot the naivete of primitive Christianity with a democratic revolutionary spirit. That's my spirit animal. Yeah, I, and, and I could go on about pre-Nicene Church and how, God, I wish it was still there. Lenin is my spirit animal. <laughs> the, the you know pre-Nicene Christianity was like people ducking in underground from state violence um, and saying help the poor first and foremost and they still had to be ordained they were still like touching supposedly tracing back to Peter but like dudes women anyone who who was who was saved was sharing communion with anyone they could it was completely different. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the reduction of the remuneration of high state officials seems simply as a demand of naive, primitive democracy. One of founders of modern opportunism, the ex-social democrat Edward Bernstein. I always get him confused with Leonard Bernstein, and it shouldn't be because I really, no. they're not the same person. And it's, yeah. not, it's not fair to Leonard, but it, <laughs> it, it happens every time. So. Yeah. has more than once repeated the vulgar bourgeoisie jeers at primitive democracy. Like all opportunists and like the present Kautskyites, he did not understand at all that, first of all, the transition from capitalism to socialism is impossible without a certain reversion to primitive democracy. For how else can the majority and then the whole population without exception proceed to just discharge the state functions? And that second Primitive democracy based on capitalism, capitalist structure, is not the same as primitive democracy in a prehistoric or pre-capitalist times. Capitalist culture has created large-scale production, factories, railways, postal services, telephones, etc., on the basis the great majority of functions of the old state power have become so simplified and can be reduced to such exceedingly simple operations of this registration, filing, and checking 
that they can be easily performed by every literate person, can quite easily be performed for ordinary workmen's wages, and can and must be stripped away of every shadow privilege of every sense of official grandeur. So again, just to distill that, they had, by 1917, made the administration of some of, the, of all this stuff so easy and so just brain dead anyone could do it and there was no need for it to be a high paying job yeah it, it, we have done nothing since 1917 but try and simplify that shit even more and make it even more right there but you can't no... do it you you don't know how to reach across the aisle and handle the real the real difficult questions it's not even that it's just the the you just want to make your constituents you happy you need... you're buying votes it's so you're buying votes it's so you're buying nonsense. votes maduro's just buying votes he's giving people food and housing that's Isn't buying that votes that's buying it's, so it's buying votes Anyway, uh, let it goes on. All officials without exception, elected and subject to recall at any time. And he emphasizes any time. Again, this was a big part of how the, so the Soviet Union worked its democracy. Their salaries reduced to the level of ordinary workmen's wages. These simple and self-evident democratic measures, while completely uniting the interests of the workers and the majority of peasants. Again, back to the majority of the peasants. Where are these freaking rich people peasants? <laughs> Very confused. <laughs> At the same Stop time, it. serve as a bridge leading from capitalism to socialism. These measures concern the reorganization of the state, the purely political reorganization of society, but of course they acquire their full meaning and significance only in connection with the expropriation of the expropriators, being either accompanied or in preparation, that is with the transformation of capitalist private ownership and the means of production into social ownership. Oh, man. If only you could take their whole means of production like their their money and their economy you'd have to grab them it, from them like you'd have it almost be like seizing it. it'd have to be like if it's you had let's it. say you had one big bank and it had all the money for the whole country in it and <laughs> and you rose up and you had that it'd almost be it'd be stupid not to take it right it'd be stupid fucking put on god damn it <laughs> So Marx wrote, the commune made the catchword of all bourgeoisie revolutions, cheap government, a reality. Cheap, I love cheap government. Just By abolishing the two greatest sources of expenditure, the army and the officialdom. I do love, I could, I it's mean, so good. Half of the U.S. budget, half of the U.S. budget right now is the fucking it's uh, so, Department of Defense war machine. It's like the one thing that like Ron Paul and, and, and them get right. It's like, we need to get rid of that. It's like, <laughs> they actually, fuck yeah! They actually believe the big government shit and they go, oh, yeah! there's the big expenditure. Look at that! And then everybody would be, no, 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 you're only supposed to say that. You're only supposed to say it, Ron. <laughs> Quiet part out loud! Quiet part out loud, Ron! <laughs> no, no, you're get bad. Out. You're Stop bad. talking about using penguins as money or whatever it is you think. You're bad. Go back to telling poor people they should die, Ron. Go back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we're going to go down to part three, the abolition of parliamentarianism. That sounds exciting. We're going to start with the Marx quote. It says, the commune was to be working, not a parliamentary body, executive, and legislative at the same time. Yeah. Instead of deciding, again, Ooh. you don't have this division of branches, this this checks and balances, brilliant checks and balances that make sure your democracy doesn't actually do anything for the people. Also, every time you see a two-house part, a two-house uh, uh, legislative branch system, yeah, know in your head 
that that was designed by rich fucking white people who didn't think any one of the people was actually smart enough to rule on their own. Every version of the Senate, the House of Lords, the whatever you want to call it. If it's a bicameral legislature, it was designed by people who thought the people were too fucking dumb to rule themselves and wanted to give them a sham body that didn't matter. Mm -hmm. The only exception I'll make is the Soviet of Nations because that was a specific uh, decolonization and revival of culture thing where all the peoples... Got their own uh, representation in the Soviet Union. Yes. Um, Except for that one that I have no no working knowledge of. Yes. Oh, really? No, I, I, I didn't know about the fucking Paris Commune. I know about the Soviet of Nations. Come on. Okay. We we'll get to there. talk about the government of the Soviet Union at some we'll, point. Yeah, okay. Of course we'll get there. Okay, okay, yes. One step at a time. Do you remember when I randomly talk about like things I just can't remember? Like, uh-huh. um, uh, like the, the country that was between Mongolia and Russia, the Soviet Union recognized. That one. Yeah. Uh, I, there's a name for it. I'm going to know that, I'm going to remember it. I'm it's going to today. remember it. I'm going to look it up this and remember. Isn't that day. It. Anyway, there's a reason that those things matter. That the 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 Kajikistan, um, you know, SR mattered, and all these things mattered. It, it was very specifically to make sure that like Russia didn't dominate the Soviet Union. Now, was, to be clear, everyone had it. You said the same thing about the Paris Commune, and I kind of nodded for about eight months, and then eventually we got to the Paris Commune, and now I'm screaming about how it's the most important okay. thing ever, guys. In about eight months, I'm going to be yelling at you about how the Soviet Nations is very important, and I don't believe everyone didn't know that. To, to just highlight this episode to come back to when David can tell me I'm an idiot and, and I need to know more things. But there's more to it than that. It, it wasn't just representation. Like uh, They were very big on, on revival of, of cultures that were occupied by the Russian Empire, languages. Which would make sense. It, 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 did, was that happening under Stalin? Yeah, it's Stalin. That was a big kickoff. Stalin Kinda was, was the, the spearhead that the Georgian, of that. that the Georgian guy was yes. trying to keep the multicultural nation. Yeah, alive. weird. It is amazing that that when Lenin picked a Georgian guy to be a big deal, that it worked out okay. Yeah, <laughs> just remember that. Anyway, we're going back to the Marx quote. Instead of deciding once in three or six years which member of the ruling class was to represent and repress the people in Parliament. <laughs> Universal suffrage was to serve the people constituted in the communes as individual suffrage serves every other employer in the search for workers, foremen, and accountants for his business. We are pay- You are public servants. We are paying you to do your job. If you are bad at it, we will fire you. Yes, Goodbye. I mean, make public servants actually servants of the actual public. You know, because right now, public servant means rulers of the public to serve the other rulers. And that's nonsense. And the only way that that happens is when angry ladies with named, I don't know, Linda with, I want to see your manager haircuts, go up to the postal service and scream at them that she pays their salaries. Who has a fundamental <laughs> misunderstanding? Of, I don't know. There's a post office guy that comes into work and tells me about that, and it's like it's like it's the most fun part of my day because I just get to tell her like, you know, we're not fun about the government, right? Like we have no, we we're, we're completely self sufficient. I don't. It, 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 goodbye, <laughs> goodbye, Gina. Have a good day. Toodles. Oh man, could you imagine if you told the DSA people that <laughs> that they're completely self sufficient and not funded by the government? Man, they would they would. But I thought I thought socialism when the government did stuff, and the more the government did, the more socialist it was. <laughs> So Lenin's going to continue, owing to the prevalence of social chauvinism and opportunism, this remarkable criticism of parliamentarism made in 1871 also belongs now to the forgotten words of Marxism. <laughs> I want the dark side. I want the Marx B-sides. <laughs> Lenin is the Marx B-sides. I really is. 
the professional cabinet of ministers and parliamentarians, the traitors to the proletariat, and the practical, quote-unquote, socialists of our day... Bernie and AOC. <laughs> ...have all have left all criticism of parliamentarianism to the anarchists. And on this wonderfully reasonable ground, they denounce all criticism of parliamentarianism as anarchism. Two exclamation points! <laughs> One wasn't enough. You that's, put two that's right. in a that, book. That, that, that sends a big that deal. That was not a tweet. That was a book. <laughs> It is not surprising that the proletariat of the advanced parliamentary countries, disgusted as with such socialists, and he's going to name some There's names. There's names, we don't know, Richard, we don't care. Has been with increasing frequency giving its sympathies to anarcho-syndicalism, in spite of the fact that later is merely the twin brother of opportunism. Now, I want to specify, he's specifying anarcho-syndicalism versus anarchism. Anarchists, an, most people don't know what anarcho-syndicalism is. And, and that's, I thought it was a villain in the Spawn universe for a yeah, long time. Yeah, no. Um, so anarchists tend to have these flags, uh, black and another color. So like communists, anarchists, um, you know, like FSLN or FLSN. I get my MSNBC. It's too late at night. Um, <laughs> Nicaraguan. Uh, anyway, um, red and black. Okay. okay. All right. Solid color scheme. Solid color scheme. Uh, the anarchist syndicalists are red and green, and what that green is uh, supposed to represent... Good. That's Christmassy. I don't like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> not red and green. I'm sorry. Black and green. That's, that's, that's better. That's, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So in what that green is supposed to represent is a return to nature, not because... You know, they were worried about global warming in the 1800s, uh, but because they just think that technology and industrialization is the hedge of it's it's these factories oh. that ruined it. Not the capitalists, not the bourgeois, not all these oh, power structures. No. It's the factories that ruined everything. And if we just ran away into the trees and made our own little communes, we could save so everything. They're, so they're Luddites. They're, they're, they just, they're just pure and simple love. Just pure and simple. Just run off, make your own little like pear-going commune, be a fruititarian or whatever the shit are, are the ones that don't eat anything this with seeds. This is the heart of ignore the government and they'll just ignore you. Yeah. No big deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Which this is... works if there's like four of you, but like they're, they're... not if you actually want to make fucking change. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 going to go hide. And we talked about it. For, you know, you, you could go hide somewhere. It's not going to liberate everyone else oppressed. Uh, but on top of that, they're eventually going to find you and, yes. and okay. exploit you. Uh, but this is the, the go hide somewhere of anarchism. These are the opportunists that are anarchists. So th th these are the doomsday preppers. Yeah. These people hang out with Clive and Bundy and think, like, he has a couple good ideas. The yeah, yeah. So long, long before there were the imperialist anarchists that would just tell you that all U.S. enemies are also bad because they're governments, uh, when anarchists were generally actually just all revolutionary instead of, like, you know, half revolutionary, half opportunist crap, the only opportunists, the big anarchist opportunists, were the anarcho-cynicalists, which is still, unfortunately, something that survives today, that... too. Uh, we're going to go down a couple paragraphs say, to decide once every few years which members of the ruling class are to repress and crush the people through parliament. This is the real essence of bourgeoisie parliamentarianism. Not only in parliamentary constitutional monarchies. That's a lot of addendums. <laughs> but also in the most democratic republics in the United States. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's not an oligarchy or anything like that. No, it's yeah, no, democratic no. republic. Well, I mean, it's what people think of as democratic republics. Sure. You know? the, the best a bourgeoisie capitalist society can give you is a democratic republic, <laughs> which shows that you can't have actual that, democracy that we need to capitalism. Kill it. We yeah. need to kill it. 
Uh, we're going to go down a couple paragraphs. Say the way out of parliamentarianism is not, of course, abolishing representative institutions and the elective principle. That, that that's not that's stupid. Uh, but converting the representative institutions from talking shops Ooh. into working bodies. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Put get, give Nancy Pelosi a hard hat and make her do something. That's right. The commune was to be a working, not a parliamentary body, executive and legislative at the same time. A working, not a parliamentary body. This is a blow straight from the shoulder at the present day parliamentarian, uh, parliamentarianism and parliamentary lapdogs of social democracy. Ooh. Take any parliamentary country from America to Switzerland, from France to Britain, Norway and so forth. So, so forth. See, he included, one of the, he included one of the Nordic states. That's right. Look at that. Yeah. In these countries, the real business of the state is performed behind the scenes and is carried on by departments, chancellaries, general staffs, lobbyists. Uh, and it's, oh my God, I've said it before, I'll say it again. It, it fucking packs. It is not the elected person. It is the person that runs their office and the person that helps them do their filing and the person that actually is writing the legislation that they say they're writing. Those people don't go away. You don't elect them. You have no control over them and they will survive. They are the cockroaches of fucking government. They mm -hmm. will not go away. They will just keep serving their new master every single time. Yep. Um, so one more thing. Parliament is given up to talk for the special purpose of fooling the common people. I'm uh, going to skip down a couple paragraphs to the people's cause, the organ of the ruling Socialist Revolutionary Party. Um, I, I don't quite know how to pronounce that in, in Russian. It's like Dielo Naroda. Naroda? Yeah. Uh, recent... trying to make it Spanish? I don't know. I'm rolling that R. Recently admitted in a leading article, with all of the matchless frankness of people in good society, which all are engaged in political prostitution, that even the minister ministries headed by the socialists, save for the mark. Save the mark. <laughs> save the mark. The whole bureaucratic apparatus is, in fact, unchanged, working in the old way and quite freely sabotaging revolutionary measures. Now, so just for context, because I'm putting... So this is... Marx, or not Marx, this is Lenin talking about, we're in 1917. The yeah. revolution is, ha we have had what is considered the, the revolution they brought on on communism or socialism, yeah. the, the, the Soviet Union. And the, the same people, people are running shit. And the people are admitting that everything is basically the same, just with yeah. new window dressings. Yeah, the, the, the Romanovs are on the run, but all the little dignitaries and shit around Romanovs, they're, they're standing behind the Dumas going, do that shit, do that shit, do that shit, do that shit. Yeah. Um, it says, even without this admission, and, and again, they admitted this, you know, this is one of those like, oh, the New York Times accidentally leaked oh. out that it that was a Molotov cocktail from the Colombian side. Whoops. That, that burned the quote-unquote humanitarian aid, and it was full of not medical stuff, but a bunch of like, you know, wires and shit, you know. Uh, th this was that, you know. Um, so even without that admission, does not the actual history of the participation of the socialist revolutionaries and Mensheviks in the government prove this? It is noteworthy, however, that in the ministerial company of the cadets, the Chernovs, the Rusinovs, the Zezhinovs, that the other editors of the... the, the Thank you. The, word, the People's Cause. The People's it's, Cause. That's the name of the book. Have so completely lost all sense of shame as to brazenly assert, as if it were mere trife, that in their ministries, our ministries, everything is unchanged. Revolutionary democratic phrases to gull the real simple Simons and bureaucracy and red tape to gladden the hearts of the capitalists. That is the essence of the honest coalition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
the communists. The so, com- hey, 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 real, real quick though, guys. Yeah. Uh, if you elect Bernie in 2020, yeah, no, not gonna guys, say anything. Guys, guys, this paragraph. Go back and read this paragraph. Yes. The second that election is done. And uh, the, the Maduro needs I, to listen I, to the Venezuelan people. Just if nothing changes, nothing changed. It just it's 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 so fucking simple. Do not get fooled again. <laughs> Do not, damn it to who? <laughs> the commune substitutes for the venal and rotten parliamentarianism of the bourgeoisie society institutions in which freedom of opinion and discussion does not degenerate into deception for the parliamentarians themselves have to work to execute their own laws to test the results achieved in reality themselves and to be directly accountable to their constituents wouldn't it be cool if the people that were having to pass the healthcare legislation or that kind of stuff actually was subject to any of it and not playing by a completely different set of rules so that they were basically just playing SimCity for their jobs yeah. all day. That'd be neat. Well, accountability, too. Like, you know, there wouldn't be another, oh, don't call them out in public or something like that. They'll just vote you the fuck out of there. Or yeah. they'll, like, mob the hell out of you because they're, they're the army now, yeah, <laughs> you know? It, it's just so... Yep. Uh, represent, representative institutions remain, but there's no parliamentarianism here, in a, as a special system, as the division of labor between the legislative and the executive, as privileged position for the deputies. So you can't write a crappy law because you've got to be the one to go out and make sure people follow the law. And then and you better make you're sure and those, the, you're, you're subject to that law. That law will impact you as much as it impacts the people that you're you're yep. writing it for. And those people, you're going to make sure that that drive it to to uh, to be enforced. Uh, that's just the public with guns. Yeah. Uh, so if it's a bad law. You you know you may write it you may go out and do the the handiwork to actually make sure it's enforced those guns can point at you. <laughs> we can res- we we can have a reservoir or, dog situation at the end of the county. Like, or you oh, might get this guy like strange as a bunch of people telling you yet yeah, fuck off like yeah. you know I mean there might be a law like um, you know to to not um, oh what's one of the, the crazy laws out there that everybody breaks all the time that's just there jaywalking randomly arrest black people uh, no, that's, jaywalking that that one, that that one's a slur in of itself. <laughs> Well, you, yeah, yeah that's we don't true. Get well, the that's history pretty, of jaywalking. Like, that's that's a class of slur. Yeah, um, but anyway, well, let's just say, because it's the, the formal thing, like I, that, right? I mean, people do that all the time. It, you say you make a law, people are just going to ignore that shit, you know? Mm-hmm. So we cannot imagine democracy, even proletarian democracy, without representative institutions. So, you know, you have to have representative institutions for a democracy. But we can and must imagine democracy without parliamentarianism if criticisms of bourgeoisie society, not in mere words for us, if the desire to overthrow the rule of bourgeoisie is our earnest and sincere desire, and not a mere election cry for catching uh, workers and votes, uh, as it is for the Mensheviks and socialist revolutionaries. DSA. Yes. Everyone that says they're socialist right now. You 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 have to always have the people's interest in mind. <sighs> It is extremely instructive to note that in speaking and the function of those officials who are necessary for the commune and for the proletarian democracy, Marx compares them to the workers of every other employer, that is of the ordinary capitalist enterprise, with its workers, foremans, and accountants. There is no trace of utopianism in Marx in the sense that he made up or invented a new society. No, he studied the birth of a new society, 
out of the old one and the forms of transition from the latter to the former as a mass proletarian movement and tried to draw practical lessons from it. He learned from the commune, just as all great revolutionary thinkers learned unhesitatingly from the experience of great movements in the oppressed classes and never addressed them with pedantic homilies. Look on up. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I just... That one wasn't uh, uh, covering up for saying a thing. David just might... No, might I just, like, almost just, choked to death on my bit. own saliva. That happened. Weird. That's, that's All right. how we're so, doing it, guys. Abolishing the bureaucracy at once, everywhere and completely, is out of the question. It is utopia. But to smash the old bureaucratic machine at once and to begin immediately to construct a new one that will make possible the gradual abolition of all bureaucracy, this is not utopia. It is the experience of the commune, the direct and immediate task of the revolutionary proletariat. And that, again, it happened. Yeah, it he was saw not, it in person. It happened. It was a thing. It was tangible. If they did not come in with guns and murder everybody, or if they had just taken the fucking money, we wouldn't <laughs> have had... It would have kept going. It would have kept going. Yeah. Um. You know, I mean... It, We've talked about it many times. We brought it back up. We are not. We are not idealist. Nope. We don't think an idea comes and then it drives the world. We are materialist. This is Marx being a materialist. He saw it and analyzed it. I seen it. I seen it. I done seen it right there. I seen it. And we've seen the Soviet. <laughs> and what did they do yeah. out of that? They built the Soviet Union. Guess what? I saw that. Yeah, we can go see Cuba. We can go see Venezuela. We can go see Laos. We can go see Vietnam. We can we can see these things. It worked, but but America's too big. It's too big. It's, yeah, it's too big. That kind of stuff's nice there, but it's too big. Never never mind that the most populated country in the world is this country. Kind of... But we're too big. <laughs> it's too big. <laughs> So capitalism simplifies the functions of the state administration. It makes it possible to cast bossing aside and to combine the whole matter to the organization of the proletarians as the ruling class, which will hire workers, foremen, and accountants in the name of the whole society. We are not utopians. We do not dream of dispensing at once with all administration, with all subordination. These anarchist dreams based upon incomprehension, (laughs) like not even comprehending the tasks of the proletarian dictatorship, are totally alien to Marxism. And as a matter of fact, serve only to postpone the socialist revolution until people are different. Trotsky! Yeah. (laughs) No, no. Come around, guys. No. uh, I mean, remember, Trotsky started off as a Menshevik for a while, too. I'm aware! I'm learning, working on it. <laughs> no, we want the socialist revolution with people as they are now, with people who cannot dispense with subordination control and foremen and accountants. The subordination, however, must be to the armed vanguard of all the exploited and working people, that is, to the proletariat. A beginning can and must be made at once, overnight, to replace the specific bossing of state officials by the simple functions of foremen and accountants, functions that are already fully within the ability of the average town dweller and can well be performed for workmen's wages. We, the workers, shall organize a large-scale production on the basis of what capitalism has always created, already created, relying on our own experience as workers, establishing strict iron discipline backed up by the state power of the armed workers. We shall reduce the role of state officials to that of simply carrying out our instructions as responsible, revocable, modestly paid foremen and accountants. Of course, with the aid of technicians and all sorts of types of degrees. He doesn't want you to get too hard on those. Yeah, the foreman and accountants he keeps pounding on, but don't worry. It's, it's, he's not an things. idiot. Yeah, he's practical. 
Uh, this is our proletarian task. This is what we can, can and must start with in accomplishing the proletarian revolution. Such a beginning on the basis of large-scale production will of itself lead to the gradual withering away of all bureaucracy, to the gradual creation of an order, an order without inverted commas, <laughs> an order bearing no similarity to wage slavery. An order under which the functions of control and accounting, becoming more and more simple, will be performed by each in turn and then become a habit and finally die out as the special functions of a special section of the population. A witty German social democrat of the 70s of last century. So what is that, the 1870s? Yeah, the 1870s. All right, so right around the continent. Yeah, right around the uh, Called the Postal Service an example of a socialist economic system. This is very true. At the present, the Postal Service is a business organized on the lines of state capitalist monopoly. Imperialism is gradually transforming all trusts into organizations of a similar type, in which standing over the common people who are overworked and starved, one has the same bourgeoisie bureaucracy. But the mechanism of social management is here already at hand. Once we've overthrown the capitalist, crushed the resistance of the exploiters with the iron hand of the armed workers, and smashed the bureaucracy, a bureaucratic machinery of the modern state, we shall have a splendidly equipped mechanism, freed from the parasite, a mechanism that can very well be set going by the united workers themselves, who will hire technicians, foremans, and accountants, and pay them all, indeed all, state officials in general, workmen's wages. Here is a concrete, practical task that can immediately be filled in relation to all trusts, a task whose fulfillment will rid the working people of exploitation, a task that takes into account of what the commune had already begun to practice, particularly in a building up of the state. Uh, to organize the whole economy along the lines of the Postal Service so that the technicians, foremen, and accountants, as well as the officials, shall receive salaries no higher than a workman's wage, all under the control and leadership of the armed proletariat. That is our immediate aim. This is what will bring about the abolition of parliamentarianism and the preservation of representative institutions. This is what will rid the laboring classes of the bourgeoisie's prostitution of these institutions. Hey, anyone who's ever asked for a roadmap for like what the system looks like as you transition or what, what, what we should do? Right here, guys. Yeah. Found it. I mean, look, so, so he's two saying. Two paragraphs. Got saying, it. Yeah. So he's saying, hey, look, these stupid social democrats, they're saying the post office is socialism. Well, it's controlled by capitalists. It's it's another exploitive. It's it's a trust. It's it's basically, it's it's the, the East India Company. Oh, God. The Dutch East, British East India Company. <laughs> the company to the people. But it, all the structure's in place. Yeah. We can use that as an example and just rip the bureaucracy out of it. There is rip a the, the greed and the servitude to the capitalists. There's a reason Marx always said you needed cap you needed capitalism before we could even get to socialism and then communism. You had to have something had to put these structures in place mm -hmm. that we can yes, capitalism was extremely good at doing the thing it did, which was creating these structures that automate everything and make it mind-numbingly simple for all this work on a massive scale to get done. All we need to do now is remove the people doing no work who are taking all of that money. Yeah. Also, you know, I mean, again, we make fun of the Social Democrats. Anything the state oh, yeah. does, it's socialism. And the more the state does it, oh, the more socialist geez. he is. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's sort of right and sort of wrong in the same sense as assuming a bourgeoisie democracy is an actual democracy. I mean, we talked about, you know, you can't just like revoke a senator if they're shit. No. You're, you're going to have a, a monster time crawling up there and you know they're going to be replaced by some other rich ruling class asshole. 
You know, they're not going to every be, eight years if you're lucky. If you're lucky, you're not going to be able to go out there and say, "You right now, you're doing a bad job." I'm going to put someone who knows how to do the job or myself in charge. So that bureaucracy, that ruling class servitude, that's the problem. These other institutions that social democrats claim are actual socialism. The same bureaucracy, the same issue is the problem. So the same way you can take that democracy and transport it to an actual democracy, actual people's uh, um, representation, people's government, you can take these quote unquote socialist institutions, these public schools, these uh, post offices, these, you know, other um other state-run things, social workers, all that stuff, and you can make it actual socialist institutions by, you know, stripping away that bureaucracy. It's just the same kind of one-to-one uh, where there's still representation, but you're smashing the state and turning on its head. These are still socialist institutions if you smash the state and turn these things on their heads and make them beholden to the people. Um, so point four, he's going to say, the organization of national unity. In a brief sketch of national organization, which the commune had no time to develop, it states explicitly that the commune was to be the political form of even the smallest village. The communes were to elect the national delegation in Paris. The few but important functions which would still remain for a central government were not to be suppressed as had been deliberately misstated, but were to be transformed to communal i.e. strictly responsible officials. The national unity was not to be broken, but on the contrary, organized by the communal constitution. It was to become a reality by the destruction of the state power, which poses the embodiment of the unity, yet wanted to be independent of and superior to the nation. All uh, part of the Soviets. <laughs> all whose body it was, but a parasitic ex... ex ed, poop. <laughs> While, while merely repressive organs of the old government power were, were to be amputated, its legitimate functions were to be wrested from an authority claiming the right to stand above society and restored to the responsible servants of society. So, anyway, Lenin goes on. To the extent which the opportunists of present-day social democracy have failed, perhaps it would be more true to say have refused to understand these observations of Marx is best known by that book Harrow Straighten, uh, or a book of, Her of Harrow Straighten fame by the renegade Bernstein. The premises Dr. of... Renegades. Yeah, back to Renegades. The premises of socialism and the task of the social democrats. It is in connection with the above passage that, uh, from Marx that Bernstein wrote that as far as its political content, this program, and this is Bernstein's words, displays in all its essential figures the greatest similarity to the federalism of Proudhon. In spite of all the other points and differences between Marx and the petty bourgeois Proudhon, on these points, their lines of reasoning could be as close as could be. Of course, Bernstein continues, the importance of municipalities is growing, but, and back to Bernstein quote, it seems doubtful to me whether the first job of democracy would be such a disillusion of the modern states of such a complete transformation of their organization is, as is visualized by Marx and Proudhon. I'm going to, uh, okay, keep, yeah, keep yeah. reading. That just, <laughs> don't put those two next to each other no. like that, you, you Sorry. dirty bastard. So that consequently the previous mode of national representation would disappear. And now back to Lenin replying, says, To confuse Marx's view on the destruction of state power, a parasitic uh, poop with Proudhon's federalism is positively monstrous. Agreed! Hard <laughs> agree, Lenin. Hard agree. But it is no accident, for it never occurs to the opportunist that Marx does not speak here at all about federalism as opposed to centralism, but about smashing the old bourgeoisie state machine that exists in all bourgeoisie countries. So basically, you know, it, it, 
Bernstein was going, aha, no, Marx is a federalist. He's an a-, And Lenin was like, no, Marx was a centralist. Mm-hmm. What the fuck are you talking about? It, you have to, like, intentionally not read them. Yeah. So Lenin continues, Lenin continues, the only thing that does occur to the opportunist is what he sees around him in an environment of petty bourgeois philistinism and reformist stagnation, namely only municipalities. The opportunist has even grown out of the habit of thinking about proletarian revolution. So Bernstein is saying, you know, I mean, if we just give more power to the city governments and the state governments, just do it in local elections. Oh, fuck, they're libertarians. Oh, Christ. (laughs) How did I spot that some shit? Yeah. But you would be surprised how many DSA guys were like, we really got to start at the grassroots about the local elections and elect our way up. Because we are just, we're just mad that we're not the ones that have the power, damn it. (laughs) You're not doing it right. Go get the power and then do what the Republicans did. And then we can have the power and do our shitty stuff with it. So skip a paragraph. Lennon continues. The opportunist has so much forgotten how to think in a revolutionary way and to dwell on revolution that he attributes federalism to Marx, whom he confuses with the founder of anarchism, Proudhon. Don't do that. As for Kautsky and Plakhanov, who claim to be orthodox Marxists and defenders of the theory of revolutionary Marxism, they are silent on this point. Here is one of the roots of the extreme vulgarization of the views of the difference between Marxism and anarchism, which is characteristic of both Kautskyites and the opportunists, and we, which we will discuss again later. This is this is super super important. Um, it this is why. Everyone, and I'm I I I don't know if I'd ever I I'm militant about it. Everybody has to read, or at least get the undiluted version of theory for mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah. You cannot rely on. Well, this is the king of the. This is this person is really well read on Marxism. They really understand it. They're really good at it. I'm gonna listen to what they say. There's a reason that we try and do as much. Just from the, we'll extrapolate off the text all well, we, we extrapolate want. like motherfuckers, but we'll but try we're to read, as much read the again. goddamn text before yeah. we extrapolate. And the reason for that is because if you just fall into that listening to your your head chieftain, and that person turns out to be Kautsky or Plakhanov, you're gonna not, you're not going to get. They can distort. They can use it for what they need. And <laughs> if you read it yourself. You're not going to have that problem. Even if you need to read it a couple times, read it with a group, do whatever you need. But even a rudimentary reading of, of some of this stuff would, would would crush the kind of shit that these people are talking about. And it, mm-hmm. it's just, it, it's why it is so important. You can't, it, Sparks noted, but you need to, you need to dig in and get this, get this for yourself to at least be able to spot the bullshit when it comes at you. Mm-hmm. So Len is going to continue, there is not a trace of federalism in Marx's above-quoted observation on the experience of the commune. Marx agreed with Proudhon on the very point that the opportunist Bernstein did not see. Marx disagreed with Proudhon on the very point which Bernstein found a similarity between them. Marx agreed with Proudhon and that they both stood for smashing the modern state machine. Neither the opportunists nor the Kautskyites wished to see the similarity of the views on this point between Marxism and anarchism, both Proudhon and Bakunin, because this is where they have departed from Marxism. Marx disagreed with both Proudhon and Bakunin precisely on the question of federalism, not to mention the dictatorship of the proletariat. Federalism, as a principle, follows logically from the petty bourgeois views of anarchism. Marx was a centralist. 
There's no departure whatsoever from centralism in his observation just quoted. Only those who are imbued with Philistine superstitious belief in the state can mistake the destruction of the bourgeoisie state for the destruction of centralism. Now, if the proletariat and the poor peasants take state power into their own hands, organize themselves quite freely in the communes, and unite the action of all the communes in striking a capital, crushing the resistance of capitalists, and transferring the privately owned railways, factories, lands, and so on to the entire nation, to the whole society, won't that be centralism? Won't that be the most consistent democratic centralism and moreover proletarian centralism? Bernstein simply could not conceive of the possibility of voluntary centralism, of the voluntary fusion of the proletariat communes for the sole purpose of destroying bourgeoisie rule and the bourgeoisie state machine. Again, if you know what the Soviet Union was, it was a bunch of other countries that chose to be one country. You know, I mean, the, the German, um, the DDR was a separate country from from the Russian SR, but they were both in the Soviet Union, <laughs> you know. Um, like all Philistines, Bernstein pictures centralism as something which can be imposed and maintained solely from above and solely by the bureaucracy and military clique. As long as foreseeing that his views might be distorted, Marx expressly emphasized that the charge that the commune had wanted to destroy national uni unity to abolish central authority was deliberate fraud. Marx purposely used the words national unity was to be organized so as to oppose the conscious democratic proletarian centralism to bourgeoisie military bureaucratic centralism. But there are none so deaf as those who will not hear. And the very thing the opportunists of present day social democracy do not want to hear about this is the destruction of state power, the amputation of the parasitic poop. poop. <laughs> Excretion is close to that word. Yeah, there you go. Excretions. Um, I, I do also, just as a side note, because I've that line there is is I think that's Lenin's the originator of that quote. But there are none so deaf as those who will not hear. Maybe it's an old expression, mm. uh, but uh, but I know it's definitely a Lenin quote. I will see it used by imperialists uh, talking about like oh listen to the listen to the Venezuelan people, listen to the Syrian people. There are none so deaf as those who will not hear, and it just boils Christ. my fucking blood. <laughs> mm. Just ah no 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 no. No, 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 no. Don't, don't take Lenin words and do it for bullshit imperialism. Do not do that. No. No, it'd be more fun to just be like, hey, you know who said that? Oh, I, I would love oh, to. Oh, you're a Leninist. All I, right, cool. Good to know, man. Didn't know you were on our team. Welcome oh, I would love to do that because I love being that exact kind of smartass. <laughs> but I don't know if Lenin originated that okay, quote. Okay, so, so we got to find take right, my so we'll, get to the bottom, we'll get to the bottom of this. Yeah, and, and etymology is just such a pervasive thing. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go on to section five, abolition of the parasite state. We're going to start with a Marx quote. As, as we do. As we do. <laughs> Again, Lenin leans hard on Marx <laughs> and Angles in this book. And Weird. We said it. Yeah. It's almost like we named a podcast after the guy. Yeah. Huh. Uh, it is generally the fate of the new historical creations to be mistaken for the counterpart of older and even defunct forms of social life, to which they may, be, may bear a certain likeness. Thus, this new commune, which breaks the modern state power, has been regarded as a revival of the medieval communes, as a federation of small states, and as an exaggerated form of the old struggle against over-centralization. The communal constitution would have restored the social body of all forces hitherto absorbed by the parasitic poop, poop the state feeding upon and hampering the free movement of society. 
but by this one act, it would have initiated the re regeneration of France. The communal constitution would have brought the rural producers under the intellectual lead of the central towns of their district, and there secured to them, in the town of working men, the natural trustees of their interests. Their very existence of the commune involved, as a matter of course, local self-government, but no longer counterbalanced the state power, now becomes superfluous. And Marx's quote there. So Lenin's going to say, breaking state power, which was parasitic ex excretion, poop, uh, it's amputation, it's smashing, the state power has now become superfluous. These are the expressions Marx used in regard to the state when appraising and analyzing the experience of the commune. So it's very important. Like, look, that's what the quote said. Yes. Uh, and so then we're going to come down a little more, and Lennon's going to say, the conclusions drawn from the observation of the last great revolution through which Marx lived were forgotten just when the time for the next great generation uh, proletarian revolution had arrived. Another Marx quote. The multiplicity of in interpretations to which the commune has been subjected and the multiplicity of interests which express themselves in it show that it was a thoroughly flexible political form, while all previous forms of government had been essentially repressive. Its true secret was this. It was essentially a working class government, the result of the struggle of producing against the appropriating class. The political form at last discovered under which the economic emancipation of labor could be accomplished. Except on this last condition, the communal constitution would have been an impossibility and a delusion. So Lenin's going to reply to that saying, the utopians busied themselves with discovering political forms under which the socialist transformation of society was to take place. The anarchists dismissed the question of political forms altogether. The opportunists, present-day social democracy, accepted the bourgeoisie political forms of the parliamentary democratic state as the limit which should not be overstepped. They battered their foreheads praying before this model and denounced as anarchism every desire to break these forms. Marx, as opposed to all three of these terrible pasts, deduced from the whole history of socialism and the political struggle that the state was bound to disappear and that the transitional form of its disappearance, the transition from state to non-state, would be the proletariat organizes the ruling class. Marx did not, however, set out to discover the political forms of the future stage. He limited himself to carefully observing French history analyzing it and drawing the conclusion to which the year 1851 had led, namely that matters were moving towards the destruction of the bourgeoisie state machine. And remember, I mean, he's pointing out, like Marx said this in 1951, 1851. He kept, or 1851, he was kept himself back. He was seeing what was going on in France and studying it. Yep. And when the mass revolutionary movement of the proletariat burst forth, Marx, in spite of its failure, in spite of its short life and patent weakness, began to study the forms it, it had discovered. The commune is the form at last discovered by the proletarian revolution, under which the economic emancipation of labor can take place. The commune is f the first attempt by the proletarian revolution to smash the bourgeoisie state machine. It is the political form at last discovered by which the smashed state machine can, can and must be replaced. We shall see further on the Russian revolutions of 1905 and 1917, and at this time he just thought it was the February one, but October was coming. In different circumstances and under different conditions, continue the work of the commune and confirm Marx's brilliant historical analysis. Oh, Lenin, if you only knew how right you were. Oh, yeah. I mean, you knew, but not when you were writing this. And that is it.
that for chapter three. Chapter three. It took. Uh, it, it was a uh, effectively a three week chapter. It had a yes. a prelude. It had a, a prequel, if you will. Uh, and uh, there's still even more to that prequel that you can dive down into. But a lot. At the end of the day, the biggest factor here is is. It, the, the Paris Commune is the origin story. The Paris Commune mm-hmm. is the Batman Begins of socialism. <laughs> it is the guts, and it is what everything that came out of after it was based on. And so you need to understand that so that you, because again, for materials, you understand history. If you just try and understand, mm-hmm. if you just try to understand the Soviet Union in a bubble, if you just try to understand Cuba in a bubble, it's not going to work. You need to watch the path that this all took, and the commune is the beginning of that path. Yeah, I'm something that that I try to discuss with people a lot and it's why I dive into history, it's why I try to get the surrounding story things. And it's one of the best ways to not be fooled by bourgeoisie propaganda honestly anyway. Uh, is context. People love to hear nuance or uh, a great fallback is, you know, hear both sides and try to find a compromise, something in the middle. It's this inherent idea that if you listen to both sides, now you'll have the right information to be more objective uh, or nuanced. People think nuanced, which means a more complete understanding, means some weak, shitty thing in the middle. And that's not what nuance means. It means having all of the information and having a detailed understanding. Uh, The best way to get these things is not both sides in it. Although even if you believe in that, this is the other side that you've never heard. Yeah, I was about to say, the other side is, it's not between Fox and CNN. It's, It's between, you want to go there, it's between Fox and then all of this. Yes. Find something in the middle of that, if you will, but don't let the neoliberals be the left. But the best way to be right is something important you should be doing anyway. The only way to be actually nuanced and the much better version of trying to versus trying to both sides things to get the whole picture is context. Look at all of this in context. And a big part of today's chapter was this. This was a central chapter. This was it's a revolution you don't hear about. And it's a revolution that that gave the the exact model of what the Soviet Union would become, of what all of these socialist nations are, are working off of. This was it was the Paris Commune. And so we worked hard today to give you that context. Anytime you look at some debate over foreign policy, anytime you want to understand, you know, what's going on with a group of people or what's going on in the news in the world, uh, the best way to do it is not to see what hits the most headlines because that's going to be given to you by bourgeoisie garbage. It's not to both sides it because then, you know, you're already assuming both sides are even, that you even have what the two sides are correct, uh, you know, assuming there's two sides in that particular conflict, which, again, you know, I mean, there usually are, but, but there's a lot of different aspects within a side. Uh, but the best way is to actually just dive in and get context, mm-hmm. uh, get contact. You know, what led up the situations? What were the material conditions that brought this about? You know, why are these people where they are? Is there anything going back in history that would dictate, you know, again, look, the, the commune is a reaction to the these people that were doing the commune. Have, some of them had lived through two other yeah, this, They had lived through the original French Revolution. They had lived through this was 1848. A, they knew what wouldn't work and what didn't work for them and that this was their path. Yeah, I mean, some of these people, like you said, the truth revolution went all the way back to the French Revolution. It went all the way back to, you know, we're throwing Marie Antoinette in the guillotine because she said, let them eat cake shit. And then they saw that all they got out of that was 
Bonaparte after Bonaparte after Bonaparte. Uh, it was also a reaction to a siege in the city. It was also a reaction to them very explicitly seeing the reaction of the 1848 revolution and going, oh no, these fuckers aren't on our side. Look what they did to us there. Yeah. You know, um, it was a reaction to the wealthy basically showing in a time of need that that being in under siege together mattered less than them than being above the working class and, and the poor because they either completely ran away to Versailles or they were, you know, hogging the meat and, and trying to derail this thing in faithfulness to, to Versailles in spite of being under siege. Um, so, you know, I mean, it was all a reaction. Well, that context is very important. Yeah. Um, so now, now that we have that context, we have a much better understanding of the Paris Commune. And as we continue with the state and revolution, we'll be much better prepared in general to go into chapter four because we know what was talked about well enough in chapters one through three. And especially because, again, this is the model. If you don't understand the model they're working off of, then all their yeah, you won't understand all their conclusions. Kind of seem like they're pulling them out of their ass, right? Then, not well. Then you can just make these random arguments. Oh, one party state, and it's really a, a bureaucratic dictatorship, and all that stuff sounds true. Because then they can point and go, oh, well, this is the detail. My my, you know, propaganda argument was built off that the think tank told me, and this is the detail that my propaganda argument was built off that the think tank told me. And you, with context, you're going. What the fuck are you talking about? Who cares? Yeah. The, this was the most, you know, democratic thing that's ever existed. Uh, and, and they got it from the commune. This is what the working class does, you know. Um, so this context should be hopefully very, very helpful. And if it wasn't, gosh darn it, it was helpful for me. And that's basically all this podcast <laughs> is, is my own personal therapy session. So Right, right. And either way, either way, you've got it. So at least you've got that knowledge. No more excuses. <laughs> that being said, the marathon is over. We can fall dead at the feet of Rome now. I don't know how the marathon actually ended. I think it was that. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you for Chapter 4. Bye. Bye.